0: Hello and welcome to Agile Individuals and Interactions, Episode 11. Today's topics, the Minimum Viable Product, Do Not Be Afraid and Dehumanisation in the Workplace. My guest on this episode is Chris Dayen. Hello! Hello there. How are you doing? I am good. I am good, bearing up in the in the windy and wet weather right now. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I should say it's a bit miserable at the moment, but doing well. And and it's a little bit darker as well. <laughs> Just and thank you for joining Of course, do tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
1: About myself. So I'm I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and what that means is essentially I'm a huge believer in enabling. Frictionless innovation, regardless of location. So I've been working in a remote setting for years now. I I did so with my previous client, BP in particular. I had teams I was working with coaching on a global basis in India, uh, Houston, Alaska, Trinidad. So I've been used to working remotely for years now. Obviously COVID hit this year in particular, and everyone has now needed to, to transition to a remote or a hybrid model. And for me, I I saw that as a great opportunity to share some of my learnings, how it's worked for me, and how I've enabled myself to coach virtually. And that's what the virtual coach is all about. I've got around eight years of experience of Agile ways of working. I was introduced to it as part of a a role when I was a project manager for a large consultancy. And it just just made sense to me, Agile made sense. Why wouldn't you want to learn frequently from what you're doing, enable yourself to pivot based on what you learn, and deliver faster and, and more often. So, yeah, that's, that's me. That's that's what The Virtual Agile Coach is. And your website? www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk
0: Fabulous. And you're a very busy man. I know you've got a number of initiatives, one of them including the looking at the Agile Manifesto 20 years on. Yes, indeed. And I'm yeah. aware in particular, it's something I've noticed as well, whilst it's sort of, hinted at there's no specific mention of diversity or psychological safety and I think that's something you've mentioned in in, in your discussions as well. even though we're not talking about that today it's certainly something worth looking into but we'll get started with today's topics and the first one is minimum viable product do not be afraid I've picked this after reading one of your articles Um, so do you mind starting on this one?
1: Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I wrote an article on this a couple of years ago now. And the reason was, is I firmly believe the concept of minimum viable product is misunderstood. Now, you probably, this will resonate with many of our, our listeners, I'm sure. You'll have a situation where you're working with a group of stakeholders and they'll use that term MVP. And they, they may use it because it's a bit of a buzzword. It's, it's cool. It's more sexy. It's, it's seen to be the modern way of doing things but they will misunderstand what it actually means and, and they all perceive MVP to mean it's something that we're going to get out very, very quickly and it's going to be clustered full of features and it's going to be final and gold plated and ready to go, right? How often have you heard or experienced that scenario? In my experience, many people have. So I wrote this article to, to explore what MVP really is. And, and the way I often prefer to explore this topic is through the medium of a game. I'm a big, I'm a big agile gamer. I love creating and contextualizing real life scenarios through games because I believe, and you may have heard the quote: if you, if you tell someone something they, they may remember, if you teach someone something they will learn, but if you, sorry, if you, if you teach someone something they, they might remember, but if you involve them, they will learn or they'll, they'll remember it. And for me, that embodies exactly how I, 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 I intend to be as I coach. I intend to involve people in the workshops, in the trainings I deliver. And often that is through games. And a particular game that I enjoy for this topic of MVP is the My Morning Routine game. Are you familiar with it?
0: I've read it and yeah. I, I think it was your article. Yeah, <laughs> But right. that's a great one, please do share that. You
1: know. Yeah, so the, the way this works is it's quite simple. And you can scale this depending on the needs of how many people you've got in, in a workshop or a session. Essentially get a group of stakeholders or a team together And you divide them up into into groups. Usually groups around eight, I find work really well. And what you do is you challenge them. You say, right, what you're going to do in the next five minutes is individually on post-it notes or on a virtual whiteboard like Mural and Miro. I'd like you guys to note down all of the things that you might do, all of the tasks that you do between waking up in the morning and getting to the office. Now, obviously, that might be a shorter journey for some in this remote world. It might be a I wake up, I put on my pajamas, I, I jump on my laptop. But in the, in, the, in the old days, and I say the old days really ironically now because it was only several months ago, previously it might have been, you know, you get up, you, you feed the dog, you, there's all sorts of tasks that you will do, and it will vary depending on the person. So you know all these things down, and then you invite the, the group to converge together and cluster the things that are similar. So you'll find there might be themes relating to, I guess, getting, getting yourself cleaned and ready, um, things relating to getting your food and things like that, getting dressed, there will be all themes and things. And then once they've got that, you invite the group. And again, we're converging here. You inv- invite the group to line them up sequentially in order from start to finish. And what you'll start to see visually in front of you is a bit of a user story map for uh, what could have been a, a feature or a piece of software. You'll see a sequential line of possible things you could do. And that they're not all things that you will do, but they're like a backlog of things you might do. And they're clustered. And then you invite them to prioritize them, you know, the ones that are most important. So th- at this point you've essentially got a list of possible tasks, you know, wake up, brush your teeth, get showered, blah, blah, blah. Lots of little things you could do. And it will be representative of of the group. So you might, I've explored this with different cultures as well, you'll find some people heavily do certain things in the morning, they might pray before they start, whereas others don't do that. And it's it's about getting a group consensus. Then this is where you introduce the challenge. You tell them, right, the alarm hasn't gone off. You've woken up, you've got 15 minutes to get to the office. Your task now, your job now is to agree as a group. What is the minimum things you absolutely must do between waking up and getting to the office and to get into the office safely? Okay, and this for me is a great way of contextualizing MVP, because what you end up with is actually something that is minimal. You'll find you end up cutting away a lot of the nonsense that people think they have to do. They think is MVP, but really isn't. You get them to agree as a group exactly what must be done. You draw a big red line between all these tasks and visually on the screen, you start to see what your MVP looks like. And it's just a cluster of several things, several stories, for example, that represent your, your MVP. And once you've done that activity, it starts to hit home a little bit. They start to go, actually, that, I, I can, I can see that, right? I've always thought MVP was, was a bit, was a bit more than that. And, and you then do a bit of a retrospective. You explore what MVP is and what it isn't. And what MVP is really It's just an experiment. It's just an opportunity to learn something, to try new ideas, to solve a potential problem. Um, It's designed to capture some feedback and learn, and it's far more minimal than you think. But what it isn't, it's not about profiteering straight away. It's not designed to impress users at this point. It's not supposed to be an end product, and it's not supposed to be set in stone. Now, I think a, a term I find useful to differentiate between MVP and what is often misconstrued as MVP is MMP, Minimum Marketable Product. So an example of this in, the, in, the, in a real life scenario, I once worked with a telecoms client and they they were trying to produce a, a, a feature, a bit of functionality that would enable their users to cap the amount of data they spend on their mobile phones, okay? Now this was a new technology at the time and in, in the first few sprints or in a cluster of sprints, they they identified how to do it. They, they physically could feasibly cap this data. And that was great. But what they didn't have on their platform was the ability to then market that to their users. It was kind of an all or nothing thing. Either you had it or you didn't. And there wasn't a way of perhaps saying this user can get it because they're paying for a different, a different tier of uh, subscription. And that's where we turned this, this MVP. It could be done into an MMP, something that could be marketed and sold as a, a different product from, from the, the, the existing platform.
0: Something that came to mind when I was reading your article and when you were saying the things again, I bet the the, the breakfast Post-it <laughs> was the first one to drop, and um, and I would have probably skipped shaving.
1: Well, I, I, you can see my screen. I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. Right, I've got I've got a huge beard. I wouldn't skip shaving.
0: And, uh, I wouldn't shave at all. But uh, and something else I found is it, I want to read out because you mentioned it in your article as well the Eric Reese definition. Is that an MVP is a version of a new product which allows a team to collect the maximum amount of validated learning about customers with the least effort. Yes, it's about what you said already. Get in that feedback loop. Like you said, stakeholders are, are, are so thinking, "Oh my God, if I commit to this, and that's their problem. You know, if I commit to this traditional project management term, then that's all we're going to get." So we had a project where we had to call it. Uh, we couldn't call it MVP because it was scarce, so we called it Happy Path. <laughs> so the customer Happy Path is this, and we're going to show you this. And there was another company where we had to call it Beta. But then we had the Beta 1, Beta 2, Beta 3, and eventually got to the MVP. But, but the Beta 1 was you know, the minimum viable product to get out there, to get some feedback. And you also mentioned the different names. I've seen minimum testable product. Minimum releasable product, minimum sellable product, and there are various articles and people have orders, and it ends up with the minimum lovable product, something that the customers will love and spend their money on. And again, it's down to the confusion, you know, and to the not wanting to commit to something, and that's the fear, and it's a misunderstanding of agile and of Scrum, and of the fact that you're constantly you know, you you're iteratively releasing a product. And so you're continuing, you know, the, we can think about the shade of the the button in the next iteration or the one after that. And you know, it, is it the say, is it the corporate colour? And so on. And bless them, I've worked with companies that have done scrum and we're six or seven months in and they've not released anything. And it's that's where you start to ask yourself, you know, at what stage are we no longer doing Agile? At what stage are we no longer doing Scrum? Because, you know, the, the, your your primary measure of success is working software. Yes. And the whole point of Agile is to close the feedback loop, make it as quick as possible and, and release value as opposed to releasing stuff and really and small and release often in a nutshell. <laughs> the nutshell is bigger than that. The Agile manifesto is bigger than that, but, and it's getting people from the, the project management mindset to get away from that fear of committing to something, uh, which is set in stone. Which MVP is not.
1: Which is which is actually a really interesting observation because if you reflect on on waterfall and the commercials around waterfall, that is often setting something in stone. There's obviously mm. there's a way around it. There's a change process, but the change process is, is inflexible. It's yeah. You know, so let's say um you and i are going to build an mvp an mvp for a product we've got two minutes left thank you for the for the reminder Um, we've got uh, we're building a product and we decide what the mvp is or we decide what the scope is and we fix that in a a, a commercial document and we define all of exactly what we want all up front and we sign up to it and we get some third parties involved and there's commercials there too and we learn something a few weeks in, and we say we need to change things. But how do we do that? Okay, we've got to rewrite this. We've got to do it a change request or a change what, request. Yeah, a change request document, which requires more negotiation, rescoping. That all takes time. That all takes effort. If anything, agility and agile promotes the ability to respond to change far quicker. The ability to uh, not fix things as much, and therefore. Using the, using the term of MVP, of MVP along with Agile, if it's correctly applied, to me is a far better outcome because you, you spend far less time on administrative challenges. You spend far less time negotiating you know, customer collaboration over contract negotiation. That's one of the yes. Agile manifesto values. And for me, agility and working with MVPs and not fixing everything up front and learning from what you do, delivering frequently, fast, often. I love the phrase, learn fast, learn often. And a a great, a great quote from a colleague of mine, he, he shared with me, if he, if he, he said, if he wasn't a little bit embarrassed by the first version of something he released, then he hadn't released it early enough. And I love that. I think that's, I think that's a brilliant phrase. If you can just be unafraid of releasing something because you understand that it's a feedback opportunity rather than it having to be perfect. I think a lot of people allow perfect to be the enemy of good. I was going to say that. Good is good enough to get your feedback. And you, as long as you are transparent about those you're sharing your product with, that it's not final, that you will learn from it, that you will update from it, I find they're going to be very much understanding of the fact that it's not perfect right away.
0: And I, I was going to say perfection is the enemy of getting things done. And I was also going to mention responding to change. But I think we've covered that. With <laughs> We are timeboxing this with eight seconds to go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on and obviously I want to mention uh, your article uh which you can if somebody links in with, to you on linkedin and looks searches through your articles and also look up eric reese uh, who's written a couple of articles and who also has a video uh on this and we'll move into the next one dehumanization in the workspace this is your topic and i know you've done some work on this as well
1: I absolutely have, Gio. This is one of my favorite topics, though, and it's, it's really important to me. I am very much a people-first advocate. Uh, I believe that everyone, especially in this remote world, it, we've got this danger. We've got this danger of treating people like avatars, like names behind a screen, rather than beating behind, beating hearts behind a laptop. Now, one of the biggest things for me about, well, one of the biggest topics for me and challenges for me at the moment is I see and hear and observe both through my own experiences, but hearing from others as well, anecdotally, and I've done some polls and some research on this also, a lot of people are still being called resources. Okay, I'm sure you've, you've experienced this as well. It's a, it's a project management term, but it's become accepted wording, accepted vernacular, okay? Now, let's explore a scenario. You are in a meeting with several other people and it's between, if, you know, you, you can see that part of the meeting, there's some leaders, leadership, some of the, the senior members of the, the company and they're exploring a challenge, right? They're saying, guys, uh, we're stuck with this. And someone says, oh, but we can't do anything about that. We don't have enough resources. I hear this all the time. And I always just say, can I just, can I just clarify what, what do you mean by resources when you say this? And often they'll say, oh, uh, I mean, I mean people. And this is where immediately I go, oh, oh, Okay. Um, so I, I approach this with empathy. Right? I don't I don't try and call them out. It's not a blame thing But I encourage them to think about the impact of that wording. If you're referring to someone as a resource You're essentially making them into an abstract thing. You're yeah. you're turning them into a non-human thing. You're, you're basically a, a, Aligning them along with things like pens paper desks chairs um, Mining things out of the ground are resources, right? By referring to someone as a resource, you make it easier to treat them as less of a human. You uh, make it easier to dispose of them in times of stress and, and, and discomfort and uh, financial downturn. You make it easier to not think of them as human and treat them as they deserve to be. Mm. And this is something that I, I, I fundamentally disagree with. Now, what are the alternatives, do you think? Do you think, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on this? Do you agree with the term resource?
0: I, I learned uh, about project management before Agile and I learned that the, the, um, the PMI or the PMBOK definition and I changed it and I, I started saying a project is a temporary endeavor of resources and people
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the object of which is to deliver a unique service or product mm-hmm. and obviously the first value in, in the Agile Manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools which emphasizes people and you know the name of this podcast is agile individuals and interactions for that reason i absolutely and whenever i hear resources i i also say sorry what are we talking about are we talking about people <laughs> or are we talking about laptops because because you could you could say we haven't got enough resources and you could very well mean we haven't got enough laptops yes absolutely and what you, your argument is to lump people in the same category is really quite demeaning, yes, and, and dehumanizing, as you say. And it's, yes. and um, actually, with the COVID situation, uh, there was a um, an American on Fox, and he was talking about human capital and uh, resource capital. And it's like you're talking about people as if they're just bits. Yeah. something, and they're ready to go back to work. And th- this person was, a, was arguing to close, to f- end the lockdown and restart the economy. And well, this was during the, the first lockdown.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I won't go into politics, but you know, when I saw that immediately, I thought, no, 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 these, aren't, these, these, these people are not capital, they are people. And that's, that's
1: exactly the crux of my argument, or, or my, my, my belief on this, is that they are people if you think of them as resources, they're essentially assets that you can sweat, that you can mm. work into the ground to the point that they're stressed. Um, you know, I've, I've been unfortunate enough to be in a scenario, a situation where I've had people confess to me that the, the pressure they're under has made them feel they aren't able to eat, that they want to leave the company. You know, these, these sorts of stories, demotivation being rife. And this is, this is part of um, part of my job in, Helping transform companies into, into more agile ways of working, into better, happier workplaces. I hear these stories and it and it makes me, it saddens me to hear that this is the sort of behavior we're experiencing. And, and to me, part of it is because we are dehumanizing by using the term resources. Now I did some polls on this. They were simple polls. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say the data is perfect. It was simple things like: do you believe the, the term resources can contribute to dehumanizing behavior? Now, I, I did that poll and had hundreds and hundreds of responses from my network. It's worth mentioning that my network is primarily agile practitioners, those in the agile industry. So it's yep. it's going to be skewed a little bit in, in favor of people that are a bit more open-minded. Not not sorry, not a bit more open-minded, but a bit more um, attuned in to these sorts of things. I, don't, I, don't, I think I was incorrect in saying that open-minded. But... The results were 80% of people believe that dehumanization behavior can result from being referred to as resources. Mm. So what does this tell me? It tells me that there's enough people out there that don't like the term anymore. However, how many departments out there in the world are called the Human Resources Department, HR? How many training courses out there are called HR, university courses? There is even a recent Agile HR Qualification. that has been released there's, there's a an Agile HR manifesto out there now. So even agilists Agile practitioners out in the world are still using this this HR term. And my concern is is if it's something that you're training to newer people in the industry, we're starting by training them in with the wrong messaging, the wrong language. We're still referring to people as resources. So what what can we do differently?
0: I, and earlier today, I was having a conversation about flow. And I actually said there's there's two ways, there's two types of flow, in my opinion. One is removing the impediments from a technical point of view, so you, so the work flows through. But there's also getting the people passionate about what they do. Yes. And it doesn't have to be writing code. So then you get the the, the personal flow, the team flow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And whilst it has the same name, it's entirely different. It's when and I've had it in my teams you know I've had you know one of the you know the best retros I've had has been when there was a penny drop moment with one team when they just looked at me and said and said we just kind of just need to get on with it now we've got everything we need mm-hmm. and, and, and that team were just really happy to just crack on with the work then because the scrum and agile are deliberately incomplete and you customize them for the people and the situation at hand And and I say people and situation because that's really important, and you know, one of the one of the the principles is you know you build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and the support they need, and trust them to get the job done. And you can't do that with resources.
1: I believe I believe you can't. And for me, happier people, happier people deliver better results. If you've if you've read Simon Sinek's book *Leaders E Last*, he explores this topic in, in a lot of detail. He talks about the companies that are most innovative, that are the most that are that are happier, that produce the best results are those that have leadership that eat last is the, is the, is the terminology. They, they believe in their people and they provide an environment where people don't feel like resources. If we explore, for example, are you familiar with self-fulfilling prophecies and the Pygmalion effect?
0: I know about self-fulfilling pro- prophecies. I've not heard about the Pygmalion effect. The Pygmalion effect is the same,
1: same thing. It's just a, diff- a different term for it. So if you, if you wake up in the morning and every day you're referred to as a resource, Oh. You, might start, you might start to behave and believe you're a resource and, and your, your motivation levels won't challenge yourself otherwise. Whereas if you wake up every morning referred to as a, a person, as talent, as a knowledge worker, as, as something more than just a resource, again, odds are you'll start behaving in, the, in that way. So yeah. again, this is, this is a fundamental thing for me. Uh, we need to treat people as people, not resources.
0: And, and this conversation links into psychological safety, which I know you're interested in and is actually the, one of the topics of my previous episode, episode 10. And you hire these amazing, intelligent people and spend loads of money on them and then you tell them what to do and how to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's not how... Well, what was the point in spending and getting these amazing talent in? Steve shops nope. there you go. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> the, hire the best talent and... Give them. The, let the, ask them. What's the best thing to do? Treat yes. people like people.
1: And this this is my this is my approach to any workshops and any 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 consulting or anything I do. It's not to come in with a predetermined bias or a solution in mind. It's to come in and help people unlock and discover what works for them. Mm. I, I I describe myself as an agile agnostic, and I've had this huge debate recently about what agnostic means in the terms of um, agile. But for me, what it means is I don't subscribe or have a particularly strong stance on any of the different flavors of agile out there whether it be scrum kanban scaled agile etc they all have their benefits they all have their disadvantages there is no utopian system what i do is i work with companies with people to understand what works for them and the biggest variable in any any new company i go to is the people they they are individuals they have their own needs so rather than going in and saying, guys, we're going to copy the latest and greatest Spotify model, and we're going to, we're going to cookie cutter, paste it onto your company. What I do is I say, all right, what have you tried? Where are your pain points? What are you struggling with? What could we try next? What experiments could we try?
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: they, if they struggle to think, because you know, they don't, people sometimes won't know what they don't know. So if they don't have a solution, that's where I can say, well, I've got an idea. Why don't we try with this as an experiment? And it might be start with scrum as something basic. It might be, let's borrow a little bit from safe. Let's borrow a little bit from less. You know, it could be various things. Mm. I basically see agile as a big tool belt and I'm an agile coach. I've got a tool belt around my waist and I go, okay, in this situation, the hammer might be useful and the hammer represents, I don't know, scrum. And in this situation, the sword might be useful and that represents, uh, using a, a certain workshop technique like liberating structures. For me, it's about choosing the right tool for the situation. And the only way I can find that out is by asking the people.
0: Take their needs. You link into something I wanted to say. Whenever I'm coaching, the thing I found is the answer is always within the coachee. It's never me telling them what to do. It's me asking the questions and surfacing the information. Yeah, that's come to an actual end as well. People above process and people above resources.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's, one, there's one addition, and I'm conscious that um, your, your podcast is titled Individuals and Interactions.
0: Mm.
1: So this is actually one of the manifesto values that I personally would tweak slightly, mm-hmm. particularly in this remote world. I'm a firm believer that it should remain Individuals and Interactions over process and tools. I'm sure many of us have experienced a situation where companies have allowed the tool to determine how you work, mm. Rather than focusing on the individual interaction, but I, I firmly believe in this modern digital world, particularly with COVID at the moment, how we're working means it needs to be individuals and interactions enabled by process and tools.
0: Yes, but I still think that the individuals are more important.
1: I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm not saying they aren't. So what I'm saying is that we—it's it, difficult to enable or allow the, the individuals to interact. If you don't have the right processes and tools in place in this digital world, yeah, and that's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is again, it's not a, this isn't one of the manifesto left side over right side situations. Mm. It's that both of them are incredibly valuable right now, and it's that to enable individuals' interactions, you need the right processes and tools. And it's not specifying a particular process or tool; Mm. it means that you need them. So, for example. If you need good communication, you need a ideally a VC solution, uh, whether that's Zoom or Slack or whatever you may choose, Microsoft Teams, regardless, you need a way of working asynchronously for those that can't always be in every session to enable transparency. There's lots of things that you need to be able to do with one another. And for me, those are the things that help enable the individuals and interactions to happen
0: in the right way. But as long as the process and the tools are working for you and not vice versa. Correct and i think that's a good place to stop well thank you so much and um and great i, I will mention your website again because there's some really really interesting points there uh, the virtual agile chris thank you so much for coming for joining us
1: no problem i would also like to mention if your if your preferred medium for consuming information is uh video content i also have a youtube channel there are, there are lots of videos on there about Agile games. I'll demonstrate how I run Agile games and facilitate those. There are videos on there for, for Top Tips Tuesday, you know, my, my tips for remote working. There is a theme on there I call The Playbook, which is all about, again, remote working concepts. There's various videos on there that I, I produce, and it's probably the medium which I am exploring most at the moment, producing lots of video content, because for me, uh, turning content into short, sharp, bite-sized pieces helps people in this in this current situation great
0: stuff and you can
1: find that on youtube.com slash the virtual agile coach
0: oh yes sorry the virtual agile coach at youtube.com and um thank you very much and we'll definitely talk again been a pleasure thank you
1: very much thanks for having me